Well, a lot of kids across the country look forward to Labor Day and the start of the school year, although some kids dread it. It doesn't matter what they think in British Columbia because they are not going back tomorrow. The B.C. teachers remain locked in a labor dispute with the province. Saturday, veteran mediator Vince Reddy walked away from talks, saying the two sides were still too far apart for a resolution. The provincial government says it won't legislate the teachers back to work, leaving parents to wonder how long the impasse will last and scrambling to make alternate arrangements. Outsiders may be a little surprised to learn why so many teachers are picketing. I'm out here on the picket line um, because of class size and composition. Class size and composition. The major issue that I see right now is the class size and composition. It's the, it's the class size and composition issue and I think that to say those words really quickly, um, it doesn't sound like much but it's a big deal. The number of students in a class and the number of students with special needs is a big deal indeed for teachers on that Kelowna picket line and for those across the province. Teachers have been on strike since mid-June, and negotiations stalled over the summer. Jillian Kirk is a high school English teacher in Kelowna. I'm really not out here for wages. I didn't get into teaching for the wages. I got into teaching um, for, you know, the rewarding experiences, funny as that sounds. So right now we're really fighting for um, the classes and composition. And I had one class this year with uh, 30 students, you know, 27 are boys, and I had 14 students with designations in the classroom. And there were so many that they couldn't put enough CEAs in the room to help me with all the students with disabilities. And so it ended up being a very, very challenging environment for the students. You know, someone with ADHD working beside someone who needs a quiet environment, besides someone who can't stop moving, it's, it's very difficult. And I was very drained emotionally and just frustrated that I couldn't physically get to everybody in the room. Well, the issue of class size and composition has long been contentious between the BC Teachers Federation and the BC government. In 1998, the BC Teachers Federation bypassed the provincial school boards and negotiated a deal with the provincial NDP government. Among other things, it gave the union the power to bargain on class size, class composition, and support for special needs students. In 2002, the new Liberal government ripped up that contract and passed a law stripping the union's ability to bargain on any of those things. The union fought back, taking the government to court. The B.C. Supreme Court struck down versions of that law twice, once in 2011 and again in 2014. The B.C. government has appealed the latest ruling. The appeal is expected to be heard next month. Well, now more than a decade into the fight, it is a bitter one. Given the ongoing court battle, the province suggested last week that the issue of class size and composition should be set aside for now so the teachers can return. The teachers' union disagreed. But there are teachers who want the issue taken off the table for good. Jacqueline Shepard is a secondary school teacher in Vancouver. I think that class size and composition is very important for teachers, but it's not just a teacher issue. I think it's an issue for parents and I think it's an issue for really all British Columbians. At this particular point with teachers losing so much pay for fighting this issue, I think that it's time to reconsider whether the teachers themselves should be bearing this burden. It shouldn't be a reason for teachers to be on strike. Because the burden on teachers is huge. Maybe these issues really do need to be pulled apart because one affects teachers. Teachers pay, teachers benefits, 
are a very personal thing. Classroom conditions, um, support for special needs, that's not personal. That's bigger. That's societal. And maybe there is a place for it, and it's not at a negotiating table. So is the negotiating table the right place to decide how classes are going to be made up, or should that be a policy issue left to school boards and government with input from the public? It works differently in districts across the country, but as British Columbia schools remain closed over this issue, I'm joined by two guests who argue for different approaches. Irene Lanzinger is the Secretary-Treasurer of the BC Federation of Labour. She was the President of the BC Teachers Federation from 2007 to 2010. She started her own teaching career in 1978. She's at home in Burnaby, B.C. Michael Zwagstra is a research fellow with the Frontier Center for Public Policy and a high school teacher in rural Manitoba. He is in our Winnipeg studio. Good morning and welcome to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Irene Lansinger, let's begin with you. Why is the issue of class size and uh, composition such a big one in this dispute? Well, it's been really important for BC teachers, as your history there showed. Um, We've actually been fighting for class size for 30 or 40 years in British Columbia, and there's been a lot of water under that bridge. Um, I think that the reason it is so important to teachers, and you heard some of them, is that they want to go home at the end of the day feeling like they've done a good job with all the kids in their class. And you think about that teacher with 30 students, 14 of whom are special needs students, she's not doing the kind of job she wants to do. And in BC, our experience, we had class size limits in our collective agreement starting in about 88, from 1988 to 2002, in various forms, through local bargaining with school boards and then the agreement you mentioned with the the government in 1998. And our experience has been that two things happen when you have class size limits. Teachers feel better about the job they're doing with kids. Kids get their needs met at a much higher level in the classroom. And funding goes towards kids in the classroom. The governments can't just withdraw funding tomorrow if there are class size limits because there are legal processes in place around those limits. And so one of the things that it does is keep government funding focused on kids in the classroom when you have those guarantees and provisions. And that's been our experience over the 25 years that we've actually had provisions and then not had them. Okay, well, Michael Swagstra, what's your take on all of this? Is a collective agreement the right place to uh, look at that and, and form policy on class size and composition? Uh, I, I don't think it's preferable to uh, to put that into the collective agreement. And uh, perhaps I'll start by just saying that I appreciate uh, Irene's comments in regards to uh, the desire to do what's best for students. And uh, I think when we look at uh, something like class size in particular, and you look at the research evidence in regards to the impact that different uh, education reforms have on student achievement, the evidence is quite clear that reducing class size uh, does sometimes have a modest impact on student achievement, but it's not actually a huge impact. 
product. When you consider the huge cost involved in a, a, a limit on class size, whatever you put that limit at, uh, that means, of course, you have to build additional classroom space, hire additional teachers. Uh, in, in BC, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I don't believe that's the best approach if we're actually serious about improving student achievement. There are other things that can be done that have far more impact. And so uh, I do have concerns about putting an arbitrary number uh, into an agreement stating that's the maximum number of students in the class in this case. Well, who, uh, Michael Zogstra, should be determining the conditions in the classroom, if not the teachers in their union? Well, ideally, this is something that should be decided at uh, at the school board and the local school level, because obviously uh, every school is different, and uh, in some cases, it, uh, uh, a principal might decide that it's a that uh, that uh, he or she is going to make it work with a smaller number of students because of the unique circumstances, and so uh, resources are allocated from other areas. Or in other cases, perhaps it's okay to have a class of twenty five or thirty students because the students are all at a at a similar level or in that particular grade or course, and so again. And when you put in a cap, when you put in a number, uh, you take away that discretion. And so, for example, if you cap class size at, let's say, 22 students, and now you have 20. Uh, 23 students who are in grade one at that particular school, all of a sudden now we're talking about a split grade um, and you just simply lose that flexibility at the local level. Uh, Irene Lanzinger, what what do you say to the idea that this should be individually um, worked on with school boards as opposed to province-wide? I have no problem with that. That would be our preference in British Columbia. Um, we had uh, uh, negotiations at the local level between 1988 and 1993, and for many years the BCTF advocated for going back to that because there is a big difference between the Vancouver School Board and the Stikine School Board in, in northern British Columbia. I absolutely agree with that. But I do think that um, whether you bargain it provincially or locally, um, the best outcome is when uh, teachers and their employer, whatever form that takes, sit down and negotiate that. Provincially, you can negotiate flexibility and differences for different districts, or you can do that locally with your school board. Um, when we bargained the K-3 agreement uh, just before the Liberals stripped it, we bargained in flexibility that said if you're in a rural school district and it requires going to another school, then accommodations will be made for that. If it's a case of splitting up siblings, accommodations will be made for that. If kids enter the school year after September and it kicks the class over the limit, then we will work out a deal around that and extra resources will be given to the teacher. Okay. So there are lots of ways. In fact, I would argue that the collective agreement is far more flexible in that regard than legislation, for example. Well, uh, let me ask you about the argument we heard from Jacqueline Shepard, the uh, Vancouver teacher who agrees it's a problem in schools but thinks teachers should not be out on the picket line over it. She talked about bearing a burden for a societal issue as opposed to um, solely uh, a, a labor issue. What, what do you say to that point? Uh, you know, I agree with her. Um, However, as teachers, we take that on because 
we care so much about the public education system and we want it to be healthy and well-funded. In BC, we have tremendous public support on this issue. Uh, 80% of parents say, yes, there should be class size limits. We should put more money into education in British Columbia. But she makes the point that if everybody agrees with it, if that that many people agree with it, she says that that the individual union dues-paying teachers are actually paying the price for this push for societal change. Yes, like they're the ones without the paycheck. If this is such an issue, why should it be done on that level? Well, one, one reason is that we've been, with this government in particular, unsuccessful at doing it any other way. Uh, BC spends $1,000 less than the average per student. We spend $1,000 less than the Canadian average on our students in British Columbia, way less than Ontario or Manitoba, for that matter. And so we are just, I think the teachers in this province are just using every tool they can to try and get more resources in the classroom. Michael Swagster, what what do you think of that? The idea that, that, that on, do you agree that this is a societal issue? Does it have a place in the labor bargaining table. Well, I'll just mention a couple of things here just in response. Uh, first of all, uh, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing to start comparing province to province in regards to the amount that they spend per student and to assume that that necessarily correlates to student achievement. It is true that Manitoba spends more per student than, uh, than every other province except Alberta. And yet, if you look at the uh, PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment uh, results over the last, uh, the last uh, 12 years, uh, Manitoba's results have declined. Manitoba actually has uh, the second lowest results in areas such as reading uh, and and mathematics and science. And so uh, simply spending more money does not necessarily correlate to uh, to higher student achievement. Okay, let's talk about where where the big societal issues of how our education system runs get decided. Do you think that should be decided in contract negotiations? Well, if we're talking specifically about class size, no, I don't believe that's the uh, that's the best place to address it. Because as I stated before, uh, class size is uh, is best determined uh, at the at the local level, and uh, even whether it's a local collective agreement or whether it's a provincial one, as soon as you start putting a cap in there, uh, you start making it more difficult to have that necessary flexibility. Now, of course, if you're going to build lots of flexibility into the agreement, you're, you're in a sense negating the uh, the intent of a hard cap. Okay, you're still talking about the nitty gritty of labor negotiation. And I'm asking you about a societal issue decided at the table. Uh, In principle, what do you think of that? In regards to who should decide what the class size is? Precisely. Uh, I would say that the that ultimately it should be decided by the uh, uh, the local school principal who would uh, who would make the decision in regards to there's a certain number of teachers that are uh, in the school and the principal would decide uh, how those teachers are allocated based on the number of students. Irene Lansinger. Well, that doesn't work. Uh, I just say that doesn't work. I mean, that's the system we have in British Columbia right now. And you heard the teacher with 30 students, 27 boys in a class, and 14 students with special needs. And unfortunately, we've seen this over and over again in British Columbia since 2002 when they took collective agreements out of our provision, or collected, they took class size out of our collective agreement provisions. We've seen these sort of horror stories of classes. Like, would you want your child in that class? I just think if my kids were in that class, they wouldn't be getting the attention they needed. And that's the way parents feel. We've had broad support from parents on this issue. So the fact of the matter is that leaving it up to the principal does not work. Even many principals would say that 
uh, teachers should be engaged and involved in that discussion. Um, in terms of the public having input, um, when a school board or the provincial government um, negotiates that with teachers, uh, those people are elected and parents have their say through that elected process. I don't think that's enough engagement of parents in the community and we should be doing other things to engage parents in the community in that discussion and in consultations around what how resources should be allocated in schools and what our class size limits should be. I agree completely that it's a societal issue and parents should be involved in it. But the fact is that they get to elect school boards and they get to elect a provincial government that drives the funding and ultimately drives how much money is available for class size how and much, for how, students. How, what, how much would you, do, do you think that uh, this issue uh, actually weighs at election time in BC? Well, that's a really good question because, you know, when you said, why do teachers take this on and not society? Um, the fact is that teachers do this every day, all day, right? <laughs> when they're working. Well, they're arguably doing it with society's children, though. Absolutely. But my point is that they think about it more than others. And I think that public education and funding for public education is an important election issue, and it certainly has been at times in British Columbia, but it has not swayed the public to get rid of this government that has so badly underfunded education. And that's because other issues come to the fore in elections. Michael Swagstra, we do know that the B.C. courts have ruled twice now that teachers have a right to bargain these issues. What do you make of, uh, you know, from from your vantage point um, uh, in another province and with the Frontier Centre, what do you make of the fact that the province has tried to quash that even though the courts have ruled twice against it? Well, I think that uh, the, the large reason for the ruling of the court is the, and, and I'll be candid here, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy in regards to some of the, uh, the methods of the government in regards to, uh, in, in regards to stripping it without, uh, without any consultation. While I don't think these things should be, uh, uh, that class size is best negotiated in a collective agreement, uh, the way the government went about it uh, was certainly not ideal. And, uh, so, and the government has been overbearing. So I don't really sympathize a whole lot with either side in this case, and I think that uh, that we need to start putting students first. Uh, in regards to uh, uh, where the courts uh, will ultimately decide, I know the government is planning to appeal this again, and this is going to be closely watched uh, uh, across uh, across the country because I think a lot of us are very interested to see uh, how this is ultimately decided. Mm. Uh, Irene Lansinger, uh, how much is this an issue that is included in other teachers' contracts around the country? How different uh, is BC? It is in, in contracts in New Brunswick and PEI, Winnipeg actually, uh, has uh, class size limits in the Yukon, some parts of Quebec. Uh, There are also other provinces that have had a concerted effort either through legislation, regulation or government policy, including Manitoba and Ontario, who have made it a a real goal uh, to reduce particularly primary class sizes uh, to under to 20 with the overall limit being at 23. In Ontario, you can go online and get a class, they have a class size tracker where you can look at your school, uh, you can, um, you know, follow what's happening with class size and they now brag that 90% of their primary classes have 20 or fewer 
and all primary classes have fewer than 23. So governments are paying a lot of attention to this and putting money into it because they agree that it makes a difference for kids and it makes the public education system better. It should, it should just be noted, though, just to be clear, that yes, governments are putting money into putting in caps on class sizes. This is becoming a, a common provincial policy. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's not having a significant impact on student achievement. In fact, if you look at the uh, the data over the last decade, uh, you see a general decline in, in most Canadian provinces. And so uh, when you look at the research data worldwide, the evidence is quite clear. You know, reducing class size has at best usually only a moderate impact on student achievement. So if we want to focus on improving student achievement and helping them learn, uh, putting in ca- class size limits is simply not one of the more effective things that we can do. What would you rather see? Are- what would you rather I see? I completely disagree with that, Anna Maria, so let me answer that. Well, let me ask him what he th- would like okay. to see instead briefly, Michael. Go ahead. I'd like to see a much stronger focus on, on improving actual teaching within the classroom. I, uh, uh, for example, I disagree with the B.C. government's uh, shift away from uh, content and knowledge in the curriculum. I think it's important that we have teacher-directed instruction and direct instruction. These are things that are strongly supported by the research evidence. And if we focused more on some of these basics, uh, we would see improved student achievement, whether the class size is 25, 30, or 20. Irene Lazinger, go ahead. Well, I disagree on the research issue. The largest and most comprehensive research study on class size, the most respected academically in the United States, the STAR project, showed that uh, class size has an impact on students, a significant impact. The and STAR was showed a small is impact. About more, education is about more than student achievement, which I assume refers to test scores. I mean, we want to build a whole child who... who um, operates well in society, understands democracy, appreciates art and culture, and thrives as a person. And the outcomes in smaller classes and support for students with special needs is that those kids do better academically and in a broad range of areas, including health and participation in society. So class size limits do have an impact and they are critically important. Just very quickly, the star, the, the, the star study, which took place in Tennessee, found uh, a moderate impact. And uh, John Hattie, whose uh, book, Visible Learning, synthesizes uh, the approximately 800 meta-analyses, and he notes that it's only a small impact on student achievement. Hattie is very clear on this, and he's one of the world's best-regarded educational researchers. And very good uh, impact on kids' overall health and well-being and futures, because it was a long-term study. Okay. So, There's lots of debate about that, but think about that class that teacher had with 30 kids and 14 students with special needs and whether you think a a child is going to do well in that class. We have to leave it there. Thank you both. I've been speaking with Irene Lanzinger, Secretary-Treasurer of the BC Federation of Labour. She's in Burnaby, BC. Michael Zwagstra is a research fellow with the Frontier Centre for Public Policy and a high school teacher in rural Manitoba. He was in our Winnipeg studio.